I wanted to learn with you some sections uh, in the Agadah, a couple of sections in the uh, passages, the non-legal material of the of the Talmud that deal with some of the themes of Yom Kippurim. And I wanted to highlight, first of all, before we get to that, the fact that there's a real chasm between what the Agadah focuses on and what the Bible presents Yom HaKippurim as, uh, as focused on. What I mean is, if you open up your Tanakhim, if you open up your Tanakhs, the Bible, primarily, Yom Kippur in the Bible is very different than the Yom Kippur that we kind of um, experience all the time. Just to give you one shocking or glaring uh, example, the word Teshuvah, the word repentance, does not appear once in any context in relationship to Yom HaKippurim in the Bible. In the Bible, Yom HaKippurim is, a, you know, is very much centered on cleansing the temple of the sins that have polluted the temple. And the temple service is very much the focus. So, for example, there's already a hint to this idea of once a year... If you turn to page 179, for example, in your Tanakhim, at the end of Parshat Tetzaveh, the end of Parshat Tetzaveh, when the Bible talks about um, the Mizbach HaKetoreh, the Bible talks about the, the incense altar, which of course plays a very central role in the Yom Kippur service in the Bible. So there the Bible talks about verse 10 on page 180. When the Bible says, Aaron will perform purification on its horns with the blood of the sin offering. Once a year, So the first mention of a chatat ha-kippurim, of a korban, of a sacrifice that somehow atones is in the context of the atonement for the, for the Mizbeach. The Mizbeach has become polluted. It's almost like a detergent, if you want to use a kind of uh, uh, image that is used in certain literature. It's almost as if, and this is something that many writers have written on, that in contrast to the ancient world, in the ancient world, you know, there were a lot of demonic forces that they believed in. You know, lots of things could mess up the temples. You had to protect the temples. The temples and the gods were subject to being attacked, to being hurt. In biblical Judaism, there's no such thing as the demons that can drive God out of the temple. The only thing that can drive God out of the temple are human actions that cause, in effect, symbolically, if you enter the temple, Betuma, in ritual impurity, if you don't listen to God's commands, then somehow you can drive God out of the temple. And the sins that you commit in the context of your society somehow pollute the temples. It's a very different philosophical conception than the ancient Near East, in which there's all kinds of demonic powers. In a sense, the only thing that's demonic is the human being. The human being can become, unfortunately, in his or her actions, demonic in the sense of having power to exclude God from the society. When we get to the actual 
presentation of the what we call Avodat Yom Kippurim. If you turn to chapter, um, if you turn to page two hundred and forty-four, where we have the service of Yom Kippur. Though I would mention, interestingly enough, if you look carefully, uh, this is just a side point, but it's an important point. If you look on Perak Tetzayin, Parshat Acharemot, after the death of the sons of Aaron, who came too close into the inner sanctum without permission, so the Bible says in verse 2, He should not come in any time he wants, and he might die. Through this process, Aaron should come. And you'll notice that this is what we call the Avodat Yom Kippurim, which in a few days we're going to reenact in the service, the Avoda service, in the Musaf prayer, in the High Holiday Liturgy. What's interesting is that if you look carefully, you'll notice that the repetition of the name Aaron, verse 3, Bezot Yavo Aharon El HaKodesh. In verse 6, V'hikriv Aharon et Parachatat. In verse 8, Venatana Haron, verse 9, Vihikriva Haron, verse 11, Vihikriva Haron. This is, in, this is in stark contrast to the rest of Sefer Vayikra, the rest of the book of Leviticus, where it quickly goes to the generic, Vahakohain, Vahakohain, Vahakohain. Here, it's all about Aaron. And the purpose, in verse 16, Vihiper al Hakodesh, Mitumot b'nei Israel, Mipishahem l'chol chatotam. Thus he shall purge the shrine of the uncleanliness and transgressions of the Israelites, whatever their sins. Again, the focus is not on... Okay, let me make up with my friend who I'm beroigas, you know, uh, for, you know, or be nice to my mother because I didn't call her all year. Or say I'm sorry to my friend who I cheated in business, my partner. You know, that's not what the focus is in the biblical Yom Kippur. The focus in the biblical Yom Kippur is purging, literally purging, cleansing the temple of the pollution that have been caused by the sins of the Jewish people that somehow affect God's presence in the camp. And this is done by Aaron. What's interesting is that this continues up until verse 29. In verse 29... There's a shift. Now here there's a shift. First of all, if you'll notice carefully, verse 32. So notice that it mentions the Kohen, no more Aaron. And many commentators point out that during the time of the Mishkan, during the time of the tabernacle, Aaron was able to do what we call Avodat Yom Kippurim, the service of Yom Kippur, every day. Every day. Probably it was more necessary because they were, God was in the midst of the camp and any slight mistake, any slight tumor, it was, you know, you lived in very close proximity. Aaron had the opportunity to be able to go into the inner sanctum and cleanse on a regular basis as long as he did this process. Lidore wrote forever and ever, however, 
The Bible says, verse 29, this will be done once a year. In the seventh month, with the introduction of what we call fasting and afflicting the body. And all of a sudden, we have an interesting verse, verse 30, which is a verse which I'd like to ask you, and again, this is one of the interesting things that the Agarists took and transformed into a very different meaning than the simple reading. Verse 30, what does that mean? For on this day, Yechaper is Guf Shlishi, third person. He will atone for you to purify you. Before the Lord your God. Who's the Yechaper? Who's the pronoun? Who's doing the kapara? Or could be God. So the truth is that most of the Pashtanim, most of the most of the biblical commentators who take a pshat approach, a, a literal approach, actually say it's actually a reference to the Kohen, the one who's serving and doing the process, just like in the rest of Leviticus. The Kohen is the one who, through the bringing of the Korban, effectuates kapara. He effectuates technical atonement. But we know from our liturgy, and this is already the first step in the move of the Agathists, that the Agathists took this verse, Ki vayom moved it away from the Kohen and moved it to God. That God is the one who is atoning for us. But that's a tremendous move from Pshuto Shalmikra, from the plain sense of the text. The plain sense of the text is a reference probably to the Kohen. But when we no longer have Kohanim, when the focus is no longer in the temple, when the focus is no longer in the service of the temple, Yom Kippur, starts to take on a little bit of a different cast. And the experience, as much as the Avoda, of course, we try to reenact the Avoda, what you start to find in many of the Agadot and many of the comments of the rabbis about Yom Kippur is a shift. We start to find issues like interpersonal relationships become central. The question of Ben Adam L'chavero versus Ben Adam L'makom between person and person versus between man and God. Questions about tshuva, terminologies of tshuva start to come to the fore, which don't appear in the Bible. In the Bible, Yom Kippur is a spectator sport. The Kohen does the avoda, and you watch. Doesn't say anything about you doing anything. The only person who's a... a, a, a a dramatist persona, the only person who does anything, who does vidui, who does confessionals, is the Kohen. Everybody else watches and waits and wants to see what's going to happen. Yom Kippur, as we move from the time of the Beit HaMikdash, when it's no longer that service, all of a sudden the focus starts to be much more on human actions, on every individual Jew, on how we perceive what is going to effectuate kapara. There's going to be different levels of kapara, of atonement. All those things which don't exist in the Bible. The Bible has a kind of blanket statement. If you do this avoda, 
you get atonement. There's no distinction, there's no this. And that's my first important you know, opening point, and that is that the Agadah and the, and the Halachists also had to, had to struggle with reimagining Yom Kippur in the absence of the Avodah, in the absence of the service in the Temple, which was so central. They were the ones who had to create a Nusach. They had to create Tfilot. They had to create Slichot. And they also started to mention ideas and thoughts and I, related to Yom Kippur. So I'd like to learn with you a few, some famous, some less famous, Agadot, um, you can pass it around, um, Agadot related to Yom Kippur. Some of them are more tangential to Yom Kippur, some of them are less tangential to Yom Kippur. Yes? The JTS translation kind of fudges it. Exactly. Right. But it also made me think that there are notions that the date itself is So we'll get to that. Yeah, we'll get to that. But that's a reinterpretation of the simple pshat. The simple pshat is a reference to the Kohen. Kivayoma zeyichaper alechem. On this day, he should do this service. Okay? More is coming. Correct. There's a personal responsibility of Anuet Nafshot Techem, but notice carefully the vidui, the actual confessional, is only done by the Kohen. There is no process of tshuva in the classical sense. So, like I said, what I'd like to do together is read a number of agadot, some of them tangentially collect, connected to Yom Kippur, some of them front and center, and I'd also love your participation and your insights into reading them. Some of them are very famous. Some of them are less famous. And we'll do as many as we can in the context of our learning. So the first one that I'd like to look at, which again, I think, raises some of those interesting tensions that the rabbis wanted us to think about around this day of Yom Kippur, which by the time of the rabbis, has become a day which, as you said, is full of afflictions. We don't eat, we don't drink, we don't have sex. It's a day when we are removed from physical life, which becomes, as I said, much more central. That's another point. I'm sorry, what's your name? Riva. Riva. So, Riva, um, it's, it's interesting. If you look in the biblical text, notice that this whole business of Ta'anuet Nafshotechem only appears at the end when we start to mention a specific date. Meaning, when Aaron did the process of Avodat Yom HaKippurim, it's not mentioned. It's not mentioned up front. It's not uploaded. It's backloaded. It's only mentioned at the end when we limit the Yom Kippur experience to once a year, which already may reflect, and here I agree with you, that when we move from the period of the Mishkan, to later Jewish history, there's the beginning of the process of more of the Jewish people being involved in Yom Kippur. And that takes full, full flowering when the temple no longer exists entirely. So there's a kind of already imminent, pregnant idea in the Bible. This, is a, this sugya is from Masechet Ketubot. Masechet Ketubot here is discussing a very interesting issue that has... Tubot Daf Samich Bet, 
It's the sugya is a very long sugya from Samich Bet to Samich Dalit, from 62 to 64. And it is a series of stories. Some of them are very famous to you. One of the stories is the story of Rabbi Akiva and his wife, or Rabbi Akiva going away to study Torah for seven years, 14 years, that very famous story. Why does this story appear here? Because this chapter discusses what is the proper balance between work and family life, something that we all struggle with. And one of the questions is different professions, how often should they be back home to be able to live with their wife in normal family relations? And one of the questions, so they deal with seafarers and they deal with this kind of people. And they start also to discuss what about scholars? In Babylonia, a custom developed that scholars used to go away from their home and learn Torah for a year or, or more. And there's something very powerful about that, but there's also something very inherently tense about that because what does it say about your relationship to other, to your wife, to your family? What does it say about the hierarchy of values? Torah, val Torah study versus other values. The spiritual versus the material. All these things. And it's so fascinating. So I wanted to start with a couple of agadatot that start with Erev Yom Kippur. So look at this little agadata. Kiha de Rav Rachume. Everybody see it? It's where the um, where I put the little bracket. The first page. Kiha de Rav Rachume. There was Rav Rachume. Fascinating name. What does Rachume mean? Mercy. Mercy, but also interestingly, what else? Means womb. Rechem. The word mercy comes from womb, but it's also interesting. The word rechem, or in Aramaic, rachmana, refers to God or the Torah. Rachmana Amar, you find very often in the Gemara. So there's a kind of play here. So you have this Rav Rachume, who is a person who maybe is compassionate, but maybe is not. Maybe is devoted to Torah. He's devoted. It's an interesting name. He had the Rav Rachume, havishachiach kamei derava b'machuza. He was always in front of Rava in the town of Machuza. That's very interesting. He was always in front. Shachiach kamei de Rava. But what did he used to do? Hava ragil, the hava ati lebeite, kol male yoma de kipura. He would go back to his family, to his wife, lebeite. Beite, it's interesting, in the Talmud, Beito is always the wife. He would go back to his wife every Erev Yom Kippur. Fascinating. Why do you think he went back Erev Yom Kippur? He was away all year long, but Erev Yom Kippur, he came back. What do you think? What do you think it means? What do you think it means to come back on Erev Yom Kippur after being away all that? On Yom Kippur, he can't have sex anyway. It's fascinating. He's coming back so are there, are there pangs of conscience of, I've been away all, yeah, I've been away all year, 
doing something which I think is really important, but I come back Erev Yom Kippur to somehow make amends. I come back on Erev Yom Kippur to be with my wife. But on the other hand, it's a crazy day to come back. It's a day which is crazy anyway. People are getting ready. People, and it's interesting, it's a day that is spiritual, not physical at all. So it's a day that you can't really be together with your wife. So it's a kind of tension. I want to, I feel that I am supposed to make amends. I feel I'm supposed to say something. I feel like I'm supposed to do the right thing. But on the other hand, I don't really, or I'm not fully invested, or I'm not fully there. Yeah. Yeah, all year. They don't come home for Pesach. This guy. Really? Let's read the story. Uh, we'll see. So what happened? Was the Gemara a woman? Was the Gemara a woman? In these Gemaras, the Gemara actually, I mean, if we read all of these Gemaras, we'll see the Gemara has a real, has very different voices about these things. Look, listen to this story. This could be part of it. Yom Achad, one day, one year, Meshachte Shmaitza. One year, his learning went on. Meaning, he couldn't pull himself away from the learning even Erev Yom Kippur. Meshachte Shmaitze. Havamasche debisu. And his wife started waiting for him. Starts pining, starts looking out the window like Aim Sisra. Starts, starts waiting for him to come home. Hashta'ati, hashta'ati. He must be coming, he must be coming now, he must be coming now. So he is studying. He is Meshachte. He's fully in a different place. And she thinks that he's coming. Totally at opposite ends of the spectrum. Lo'ata. He didn't come. Chalash da'ata. She became very... It doesn't literally mean lost her mind, but she became very upset. She became very dejected, despondent. Chalash da'ata. Achit dim'ata me'ena. And a tear came down her eye. It was fascinating. Fascinating because, of course, this is the period of time. This is the period of time of tears. The aserati me'chuva. The period of time, especially in the liturgy, we talk about how the tears, that if God can't hear our prayers, he should take our tears. We say at the end of Ni'ilah, he should take our tears and put them in a... So it's very, very interesting. So he's over there learning and she's crying. Haviyativ b'igra. And it's so interesting, he's so oblivious that he goes up to the roof to sit, to continue to learn. He wants to be more comfortable. She's crying and he goes up to the roof. Where is he? He's in Machoza. He's, in, he's with Rava. He's in the base Medrash. So he goes upstairs to take a little air and continue his learning. 
Ifchit igra mitute. The roof collapses under him. Vinach nafshe. And he dies. And he dies. It's fascinating. It's a fascinating story here. This is one agadita, one voice that says, and it's so interesting. What does it mean? First of all, there's a parallel here, a literary parallel between, in Aramaic, between achit dimata, her, her tear falls, and mida keneged mida, he falls. So there's a kind of parallelism. The hurt that you do to someone else kind of comes back to hurt you. You created a falling, you created a tear, you created pain, and pain comes back to haunt you. But what else do you see in this story? What else do you, un- do you uncover here in terms of Yom Kippur? To me, it's very powerful. We, of course, all know that the rabbis tell us, and it becomes part of the liturgy, that it's a famous agadita in the Gemara in Rosh Hashanah. The Gemara says um, that as we come to this period of time between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, so Rishaim Gemurim, evil people, they, their, their din is Nechtam before Rosh Hashanah. And Sadikim Gemurim and full-fledged Sadikim full-fledged righteous, their din is also nechtam before Rosh Hashanah. But, benonim, people who could go either way, Rosh Hashanah is the time where they're omdim v'tluyim, they're kind of up in the air, and then their fate is decided on Yom Kippur. Now, if Rav Rachume dies before Yom Kippur, he's either a Rasha, well, no, he's not a tzaddik. A tzaddik, he would live. He's nechtam la'alter, the Gemara says. He would, be, he would be decided for... Obviously, he don't live forever, but the fact that he dies before Yom Kippur, b'male di Yom Kippur, is telling us something very powerful. At least that this voice in the Agadah is saying that whatever value you attributed to Torah study, but it was so overpowering that it hurt your wife, and you were willing to ignore the physical dimension, therefore you don't reach, you don't reach Yom Kippur, which is the ultimate day of spiritual existence. You wanted to live a life that's totally devoted to spiritual existence without any contact with your wife, and you didn't, and the one day of the year, okay, Let's say we grant that, but you still have to live up to the standard that you set for yourself. And the standard that you set for yourself in the way that you related to your wife, to the other, was that you would come home at least once a year. If you don't live up to that standard, then you're not living up. You don't, you don't get to live the day of spirituality because your spirituality is pagum. Your spirituality is mikulkal. It's messed up. It's a messed up kind of spiritual existence and therefore you don't get to experience Yom Kippur. Yeah. Right. Right, who's a widow. 
Correct, correct. There's no doubt that that kind of little ending isn't really part of the thought process of this little tale. You know, the point is that for others to... Right, the others to inculcate a certain value about... And especially when you think about Yom Kippur and what Yom Kippur represents. Yom Kippur is once a year to represent the spiritual side of the human being, but not at the expense of... The Bein Adam That's what I think is fascinating in this Agarita. Yes. Is there also a suggestion that this one act perhaps changed the original decree of the prior Yom Kippur? In terms of? In other words, maybe his, he was decreed to live right. because of his Torah study. Right. But this negated. Yeah, it definitely could be. It could be. The power of one act, which is so hurtful, which causes the tear to come down, that can overcome everything else. Yeah. yeah I mean, the power of the story is on some level her agreement with him is so little for him. Right. He doesn't presumably provide her with Sanasa. He doesn't provide her with any kind of help with the kids. Right. You know, um, he doesn't provide her with, you know, Shabbat and Shabbat. Right. All she asks is this one already deprived day. Right. Right. And it's, again, to me, it's fascinating because Yom Kippur, again, especially if you start to look at the liturgy, the liturgy talks so much about Yom Kippur is a yom of achva, of ahava, of reyut. It's a day when there's supposed to be reconciliation between person and person. And this is exactly part of, you know, but if you've turned yom, even Yom Kippur into this, this is what happens. Another agadita in a similar direction. Turn the page here. Just I was running, so here we actually... You know, there's also an English translation. I was able to get it off the... This is from Chulin Dav Kuf Yud. Masechet Chulin. This is in a sugya that is a halachic sugya. Kuf Yud. Kuf Yud. This is in a sugya that deals with the concept of basar b'chalav. Milk and meat. So one of the most interesting halachot in milk and meat is the udder of a cow. The udder. Because the udder is meat. It's part of the cow. But it's full of milk. So can you eat the udder of a cow? Okay. I've never eaten an udder. I don't know what it tastes like. But I assume, you know, kachal. It's a very famous... So the Gemara... So let's... Let's read it in Hebrew and you can follow along in English, in Aramaic. Again, it's interesting. We have certain key cities in Bavel. Besura, lo achli kachli. In Sura, they didn't eat udders. Bepumpadita achli kachli. But in Pumpadita, the custom was to eat udders. Rami bar tamre, dehu rami bar dikule mi pumpadita. So Rami, the son of Tamri. Now, for, again, names are always significant. What does the word Rami mean? High Ram. But in, he, in Aramaic, Rami, if anyone's learned Gemara, Rami means contradiction. Right? Rami. Conflict. So Rami bar Tamri. Rami, the son of the Tamar. The son of the Dekel. Of the Tamar tree. Who, who is also Rami bar Dikule. 
who's also Rami, the son of the Dekel tree. Tamar, right? Tamar is the Hebrew word, Dekel is the Aramaic word. That's where we get the Lulavim. The Lulavim are Kapot Tamarim. That's what a Lulav is. Ikle Lesura. So he comes to Sura, Bimaale Yoma de Kippure, on the eve of Yom Kippur. So, what should be going on on the eve of Yom Kippur? Eating. Eating. But there should be harmony. There should be interaction. There should be all kinds of positive interactions. So what happens? So all the people took all their udders and threw them away. They were being very pious. They were doing tshuva. Even the people who might have stashed away a little udder, right? Yeah, with, uh, you know, one of these sketchy hashgachot. So... I'd Erev Yom Kippur want to be very from they're not going to just like you know some people the Gemara says during Aseret you made tshuva you, you're supposed to be machmir and certain things that you usually eat you shouldn't eat so these people threw away their udders Ozal Ihu so he went Naktinu Achlinu so he went and had a feast he had himself a wonderful time because he had now he, he held you could eat the udders now fascinating story here. First of all, what's going on? Is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? He's what? He's sort of rebellious. He's not respecting the community norms. And at the same time... Right. Maybe it doesn't present properly. Um, It's also interesting he's not invited. Meaning, he, he's, other. He's, other. he's other. He's other, and they don't invite him in. And he's making himself other. So everybody here, nobody is a real hero yet. No, everyone is in their own little corner. They probably saw him gathering up the others, and nobody said, why don't you come to our meal? Or something like that. He's got to make his own meal. That's also not such a great thing. It's unclear. Yeah, he's, he, he's Machmer and Baltashkas. Very strange. So the story gets worse. So, Naktinu Achlinu. So he ate. So they brought him in front of the rabbi. Aitu Lekamit Rav Chizda. So it's almost like a kind of arrest. So this is what they're doing on Erev Yom Kippur. They're arresting this guy for eating udders. Which is a fascinating thing. Omar Leh. So he asked them, why did you do such a thing? I come from the town of Rabbi Huda where they eat. So Rami Bartamre is very insistent on his autonomy. He's very insistent on his right to do whatever he wants. Even though he's in another city, he's not interested in playing ball with these people. So Rav Chizda says to him, let lach hamakom So he says to him, don't you agree to the rabbinic dictum, there's a famous rabbinic dictum, that when you, when it comes to minhag, when it comes to custom, you have to take upon yourself the stringencies of the place you left and the stringencies of the place where you come to. So you have to be respectful of the customs of the place. So listen to this answer. Amar lei chutz litchum 
achlatinhu. I was outside of the tchum. The tchum is, of course, the 2,000 uh, cubits area. It's a fascinating answer. I came to the city, but I don't want to be part of the city. I want to have my own autonomy. And you want to control me. How many cubits is the usual? 2,000. The tchum. So if he was that far out, how did they know he was doing it? Just they saw him gather They saw him gather it. And he's waving, okay. you know, at the border. He's waving at the border, eating the udders. Yeah, you can smell the barbecue. Okay? But so the story should have ended there. But you see, again, this Agarita is very critical of what people are thinking about on Erev Yom Kippur. They're not going in the right direction because Rav Chizda doesn't let go. Rav Chizda decides to chepper this guy. Rav Chizda said, and how did you roast them? Ubametvitinhu. How did you roast them? Why is he interested in that? He's trying to get him. He's trying to get him. Amarle befurtsini with the grape seeds. Vidilma minayin nesech havya. Maybe those grape seeds were left over from idolatrous wine. You're not from here. You don't know what the grapes around here are. You think you know everything. You don't know anything. You going to do your own thing? I saw that they were very old. They're more than 12 months old. Which is also fascinating because it's Erev Yom Kippur. So it's a year old. It's Yom Kippur from the last Yom Kippur. The Dilma de Gezel Havi, maybe you stole, which is a terrible thing to accuse someone of, especially on Erev Yom Kippur. Amarle Yeush Bailimhu, the Kadakhu Baha Bahu Khilfu. It must be that the Bailim, that the owners had abandoned them because there's a lot of weeds around them. So obviously, no one cared about these grapes. So he decides to go in a different direction. So he's tried to get him on food. Now he decides to focus on his body, on his religious personality. He saw that he wasn't wearing tefillin. Remember that in, Bibli- in rabbinic times, many people wore tefillin all day. So in effect, he's saying to him, Oh, you're so from... You know halacha so well. You give me an answer for every question. But you don't wear tefillin. You're a person who doesn't have kabbalat ol malchut shemaim. You're, you're an oisvarf, as they would say in Yiddish. You're out of the pale. What are you proving? You think you, you know all the answers? Amar lei, my time oloman nach tefillin. Amar lei, hu. I have a stomach disorder. And I don't want to put on tefillin which is also funny. He's eating udders while he has a stomach disorder. <laughs> Everybody has an answer. Everybody's attacking each other. There's an answer. What's the correlation Once you have a stomach disorder, you probably have to go to the bathroom a lot. And when you, you have to have a guf naki, you have to have a, a clean body, according to Jewish law, to wear tefillin. That's one of the reasons why we don't wear tefillin today. 
one of the reasons, not the only reason, because we consider that, you know, we, we're not necessarily super duper, we can be so careful about when we're wearing our tefillin, what comes out of our body. Then he saw, He saw he wasn't wearing tzitzis. Why don't you have tzitzis? Tzitzis check. I'm wearing a borrowed clothing. You know, like the people do when they go to the Kotel and they don't want to tear Kriya. He knew all the shtick. Everybody knows all the shtick. The Amar of Yehuda and my Rebbe taught us if you borrow a cloak from somebody else, it's not yours, you don't have to put on tzitzis. Adahachi, so it's a fascinating story here. I mean, this is what they're doing on Erev Yom Kippur, which is the antithesis of what you should be doing on Erev Yom Kippur. On Erev Yom Kippur, if you think about it, Chazal say this all the time, kol ha-ma'avir al-midotav, Hashem ma'avir al-midotav. Anyone who lets things go, God lets. Meaning, we should be looking for limud zchut. We should be looking to find the good in the other person. Not the bad. We shouldn't be trying to hop someone. To see, especially Arab Yom Kippur, you want to place this person in jeopardy, in harm's way before God? At your, because you want to show your religious one-upmanship? or because you have an exaggerated sense of your communal standards, or you, meaning each person here is not acting the way Yom Kippur really should be played out. Yes. The story ends with a fascinating little end story. Adahachi, in the midst of all this, Aiti lahu gavra, they brought a person who was not respectful to his parents for not honoring his parents which is a fascinating thing so first of all it tells you about this city <laughs> you have a city where people are not honoring their parents you have a city where people are very judgmental you have a city a lot of problems and this is all Arab Yom Kippur this is not the way Yom Kippur one should be entering into Yom Kippur Kaftu, they put him in jail or they put him in stock or they flogged him according to, they bound him. Amar Luhu, so Rami said, Shafku, leave him alone. Detanya, kol mitzvot asei shematan schara Because it says, he, so he basically challenges Rav Chizda again and he says, in the, ta- in the Torah it says, kabedet avicha vetimecha leman yarichun yamecha. You should honor your parents in order that you live a long time on this earth. So says Rami, Kol mitzvat ase, any positive commandment, Shematan schara b'tzida, that its reward is right next to it. Ein beitin shalmata musharna lav. The court down on earth is not responsible to punish. So since this person violated Kibbut Avim, leave it to God. Now, what is this all about? It's interesting. Beitin, the theme of Beitin is brought in here. Judging. You shouldn't be a Beitin, Rav Chizda. Especially the day before Yom Kippur. We're treading on very thin ice when we start to judge people. 
And the story doesn't end well. Amar lei, chazina lecha de charifa tuva. So Rav Chizda said to Rami, I see you're very sharp. Amar lei, ihaviyat ba'atred Rav Yehuda. If you would come to the place of Rav Yehuda, achvina lecha churpai. I'll show you how sharp I am. So put that. So this is a very, also very musardika story about Erev Yom Kippur, a society that's in big trouble, a society that's very judgmental, and a society that's focusing on the wrong things. You had a question, I'm sorry. Yeah, I was going to say, when I first read this, it seems like they're preying on an ad who's weak and sick. Right. Poor, right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. He's not, and he's not becoming part of them. He's out. He's out of the tchum. He's got an answer. He's other. He's a part. He doesn't approach right. He's telling them what to do. Correct. Nobody here is a real hero. Yeah. When it's not when it's not applied properly and for the right motivation and in the right context, yeah. Yeah, there's a certain. Hopefully, hopefully we would hope. We would hope. Okay, now we get to a good story. The flip side, again, an Erev Yom Kippur story. And this is a story about how one should behave. And again, notice, it's all about the interaction. Again, one of the things that I think is so striking is the importance that the Agadis, put on the Ben Adam L'chaveiro as being so central to Yom Kippur and it comes into the liturgy as well. At the end of Ni'ilah we say that we stop from oppressing each other. It becomes a central theme. I think especially with the absence of the temple the question of Ben Adam L'chaveiro became much more central to the experience of Yom Kippur. So listen to this story in Masechet Shabbat, Daf Kuf Chavzayim. Tana Rabbanan, Hadan Chaveiro L'kav Schut, Danin Oto L'schut. If you judge someone favorably, you get judged favorably. Maaseh Ba'adam Echad Shiarad Migalil Ha'elyon. Someone came down from the Galil. V'niskar Eitzel Bal Habayit Echad B'darom Shaloshanim. So they are coming from two different worlds. One is from the north and one is from the south. And one was working for the other person for three years. Erev Yom Kippurim Amarlo. So Erev Yom Kippur, as he's about to get ready to go home, to be with his family, he said to him, Tainli Give me my, my wages. So that I can support my wife and children. Now, of course, there's also a kind of entendre here. On Erev Yom Kippur, Ezon means to give parnasa, to provide, but also means food. It means food on Erev Yom Kippur. Amarlo, Ainli Ma'ot, I don't have money. 
Amar lo tainli peirot, give me fruit. Amar lo ainli, I have none. Amar lo tainli karka, give me some land in collateral. Ainli. Tainli behema, give me an animal. Ainli. Tainli karimu ksatot, give me some linens and pillows. Amar lo ainli. Hifshil kelav la'achora, so he took his stuff on his, you know, on his back. Vahalach leveto bepache nefesh, and he went to his house with despondently. He went to his house with a sorrowful heart. So it sounds like a, at first blush, a terrible story. Terrible story. Story of being cheated, or it's a story of, of deprivation, of story of some kind. But the story turns. La'achar haregel, after Sukkot, natal bal habayit biyado, so the owner took the money in his hand, imo maso shlosha chamorim, and he took with him three donkeys, kind of parallel to the animals he couldn't give him. Echad shol ma'achal, one of food. Echad shol mishteh, v'echad shol minei migadim. Also represents the three years. The guy worked for him for three years, so there's three donkeys. In Agadot, they like to do those kind of nice little literary parallels. V'halach lo lebeito, and he went to the guy's house. Achar she'achlu v'shatu. So notice, Notice the nobility of the worker. The worker, doesn't, when he sees him, doesn't throw him out of his house and say, he brings him in and they sit and they eat together. This is the first time people are together. V'natan lo scharo. After they ate, he gives him the money. Amarlo. So the Balabait says, B'shash amarti li, tenli schari, v'amarti enli ma'ot, b'mecha shadani. When I said to you, when you said to me, give me my money, and you said, and I said, I don't have money, what did, you, what did you think? Tell me the truth. Did you think I was cheating you? Amarti, shema prakmatya bezol nizdam No. I gave you the benefit of the doubt that there was some important business deal and you weren't liquid. You had to pay for it that day and so I let it go when, when you asked me for an animal and I said and, and I said I don't have the animal what did you what did you choshig me what did you think what did you really think I thought maybe you had already rented it out and you couldn't give it to me because you couldn't take it away from someone else and gave you the benefit of the doubt. When you asked me for land, and I said, I don't have land, what did you think? Maybe I thought you had sharecropped it to someone else. When, you, when I said, when you asked me for peirot, and I said, I don't have, what did you think? I thought you were trying to save me from an Avera because the tithing had not been yet done. So this person of nobility, I mean, it's such an extreme example. 
When I told you that I don't have any linens, I don't have any pillows. Maybe he had dedicated all of his movables to the temple. And therefore, you couldn't give me that. Amarlo, so this man responded. Again, it's not necessarily a true story. It doesn't matter. Ha'avoda, by the temple service, which is such a fascinating term, the temple service, which is the epitome of Yom Kippur, is the swear that he uses. Today we would say, by, you know, by, by God, by the Lord of Abraham. Ha'avoda, kachaya, this is what happened. Hadarti kol nichsai bishvil hurkinis bini shelo asak b'torah. I gave away all my property to redeem my son Hurkinis. I thought it would be a zechut because he didn't study Torah. Ukshabati etzel chaverai b'darom he tiruli kol nidarai. And when I came to the south. They were matir all my nidarm. This may be one of, the, one of the reasons why we say kol nidre, the night of Yom Kippur, as an echo of this story. Echo of this story. Ve'ata, and you, keshem shedantani l'schut, just as you judged me meritoriously, hamakom yadin otcha l'schut. So too, the Lord should judge you meritoriously. It's a wonderful story of an extreme example of Dan Lekav's chut. What Yom Kippur is, is we want God to judge us favorably. If we want God to judge us favorably, that's the way we have to treat our fellow human being. And we also have to take care of our fellow human being. When you have the money, and when you have the food, and when you have, you've got to go and do it. You've got to do what's right. But again, on the interpersonal level. Now let's turn to the Gemara. The, fa- the Gemara that directly deals with Yom Kippur itself. The famous Mishnah. And we'll at least see part of some of the rabbinic context. It's fascinating that the rabbinic, the Mishnah here appears in the, it says page 170, this is Daf, Daf Pei Hei Amud Bet. This Gemara, interestingly enough, if you know Masechet Yoma, if you know the tractate about Yom Kippur, which is called in rabbinic literature Yoma Rabbah, it should say on top Yom Kippur Atzmo, the next page. So Yom Kippur, up until the eighth chapter, the Mishnayot are all about the Avodat Yom Kippur. Because as I said, during the time of the temple, that's what they did. And the Mishnayot in Yuma are very ancient. They come from the first layer of Mishnayot, when they were still practicing the Avoda in the Beit HaMikdash. But by the time you get to the 8th chapter, you get to our Yom Kippur. The 8th chapter starts with, Yom Kippur is forbidden to have, to eat and to drink and to, to have sex and all that. And it's so fascinating. Dafka in that sugya, Dafka in those Mishnayot, the Talmud chooses to have the discussion about pikuach nefesh, doche kol It's dafka, if you look on top, for example, of this page, it says, v'chai bahem v'lo shiamut bahem, the second wide line. The whole sugya 
of pikuach nefesh, the sugya of that you should live. It's about eight lines up from the Mishnah. The sugya about living and not dying appears here in this chapter where we're talking about Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is not a day that we want people to die. Yom Kippur is a day of life. Do you have it? It says page 170. You see where it's wide? The most famous statement, which is a perfect, it's so beautiful, it's a perfect placement. Yom Kippur is the day where we hope that God will inscribe us for life. So is there no better place to situate literarily the sugya, the halachic sugya of the idea of pikuach nefesh, that saving a life overrides all halachic considerations, it appears dafka in Yom Kippur, in the Mishnah about Yom Kippur. So that's beautiful. But I want to look at this Mishnah. And again, this Mishnah introduces something that we don't have in, as I said, the, in the Bible. In the Bible, there are no gradations of kapara. There's no different levels of atonement. There's the Avoda, and the Avoda atones for all the sins of Israel, the scapegoat, the Seir Lazazel, the Itvadual of Kol Avonot Be Israel, the entirety of, of the sins. And again, it's interesting. The Avoda does it without the Jewish, too much Jewish participation. I mentioned again, Jews, the average Jew is a spectator. The average Jew does not daven on Yom Kippur in the temple, the average Jew, all they say is, right, when, what did they say? That's it. That's all the people said. Basically, everything else was done by the Kohen. And all the sins were toned by the Seir Hamishtalech, by the scapegoat. It was almost a kind of quasi-magical process. I don't want to use the word magic, but kind of quasi-God in His infinite grace. Grace is not a Christian word. It's a, it's a nice English word. You're allowed to use it. Okay? God in His infinite grace simply wiped away the sins of the Jewish people when they recognized and went through this process. However, what happens when there is no more temple? So here there's a new, there's a shift, there's a paradigm shift, as they like to say. So let's look at the Mishnah. Chatat ve'asham v'adai mechaprim. The korbanot that were used to be brought for sins, they, the chatat, the sin offering, and the asham v'adai, the asham, which is brought, no, the asham is the guilt offering, for, for, for sins that you know that you committed, they are mechaper, they atone. Mita v'yoma kipurim mechaprim im All of a sudden we have a new theme. Death, or most people read it as or Yom Kippur, not and Yom Kippur, because what's the big gedilla? If you have to die to get kapara, you haven't done much. <laughs> you haven't helped us very much. Mita there is no automatic atonement anymore. You require repentance. It's a new understanding. 
The human being takes center stage responsibility. And then the Talmud goes, the Mishnah goes further and explains itself. Here are the gradations. So Teshuva atones for low-level sins. Like a mitzvah aseh, a positive commandment that you didn't do, like you forgot to put on tefillin today or something like that. Or a negative commandment. You spoke Lashon Hara. You ate a piece of ham. Shuva in the middle of July atones for that and you're scot-free. You don't have to wait till Yom Kippur. I'm sorry? Shuva. You don't wait till Yom Kippur. Shuva does it. If I insulted my mother in the middle of July, I don't say, oh, I'm going to wait till Yom Kippur. You can pick up the phone in July and call her. That's how suspended? Not here. This is the one. But on the serious sins, probably sins that you get killed for, not just a lotase, but something that according to Jewish law you would get mita, hutole, it keeps it hanging, ad shiavo yoma kipurim until Yom Kippur comes. However, haomer echtev ashuv, echtev ashuv, ein maspikim biadola sot tshuva. But, with the introduction of the theme of repentance into the Jewish theology, that doesn't mean that this is a free pass. Someone who thinks, Oh, now I'm going to have, okay, on Monday and Tuesday, I'll do whatever I want. And on Wednesday, every week, I'll do tshuva. And Thursday and Friday, and then Shabbos, I'll do, no, 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 no. That's, that's gaming the system. Tshuva is not that way. And the same thing, someone who says, Echtev, Yom HaKippurim Mechaper, Ein Yom HaKippurim Mechaper. Yom HaKippurim is not Mechaper. But now again, watch what happens. In the rabbinic mind, the question of sins becomes focused on Bein Adam L'chaveiro even more than Bein Adam L'makom. Averot Shebein Adam L'makom Yom HaKippurim Mechaper. Sins between man and God, Yom Kippur is Mechaper. If I did tshuva, in the sense of if I repented, automatically Yom Kippur is Mechaper. And Levinas, in one of his essays, points out, that's a very powerful statement. It's almost as if God is forced to give us kapara. This idea that God is forced to give us atonement. It's not like God can decide, I mean, obviously, God can decide whatever he wants, but the way the Mishnah presents it, it's wholly in our, it's wholly in our control. Once we do tshuva, it's automatic. That Yom Kippur is Mechaper. That's what it, sound, it sounds like. It's a very powerful statement. There's almost like there's no other. However, Averot Shebein Adam Lechaveiro, but sins between man and, and man, between person and person, Ein Yom HaKippurim Mechaper, Ad Sheiratzed Chaveiro. Yom Kippur does not atone until the other is appeased. When it comes to sins between person and person, Yom Kippur has no power. Yom Kippur, there is an other who stands in the way, who controls my fate. 
the interaction between me and other becomes central in the conception. And notice how the rabbis derive this by an amazing reading of the Pasuk. Darash Rabbi Eliezer ben Azariah. Mikol chatotechem lifnei Hashem titaru. Remember the verse we started with. It says, Ki vayom for on this day God will atone. For on this day God will atone. Now, if you parse the verse, if you look at the Ta'amena Mikra, if you look at the cancellation points, it goes like this. Okay? You have the Etnachta, which is the major cause. Mikol Chatotechem. From all your sins, lifnei Hashem titaru. Before the Lord, you are purified. That's the way the verse reads, according to the truck, according to the cancellations. Rabbi Eliezer does an amazing thing. Rabbi Eliezer says, "Kiva yom azei chaparalechem mateheretchem mikol chatotechem lifnei Hashem." From all the sins that you've done before God, you will be purified. Only the sins that you've done before God does this day have power on it. But the sins that you've done before man, lifnei Adam, that's the subtext here, not lifnei Hashem, but before man, this day has no power until you appease him. That's what he says. An amazing agadic reading. Darash Rabbi Eliezer ben Azariah. Mikol chatotechem lifnei Hashem titaru averot sheben adam lemakom sins between man and God yom kipurim mechaper averot sheben adam lechaveru ein yom kipurim mechaper ad sheiratzet chaveru yom kippur is not mechaper until until you appease your friend and then Rabbi Akiva comes. Rabbi Akiva, who lived through the Khorban, who lived through the destruction, saw the temple in its glory, and then saw the temple in its destruction, also comes and gives us a two-headed state, not two-headed, but teaches us a beautiful Agadah. Amar Rabbi Akiva, Ashrechem Yisrael, Lifnei miatem mitaharin, Umi mitaher etchem. Blessed are you, Israel, before who do you become purified? And who purifies you? Avichem Shabashamayim. The Lord in heaven. Now, there's a very powerful statement going on here in Rabbi Akiva. There's a lot of things going on in this Rabbi Akiva. Number one, Rabbi Akiva is saying that don't think with the absence of the temple, there's no source of kapara. There's no source of atonement. Ultimately, God will atone us even if we don't have the ritual of the temple. That's number one, what Rabbi Akiva is saying. Number two, I think there is a slight anti-Christian polemic here. 
Who ultimately brings atonement? Not the Son, quote-unquote, but the Father. There is no Son of God. There is avinu There's only a direct connection to God. There is nobody else who atones for us or somehow brings us kapara, which we know in certain circles at that time starts to become a theology. So there's maybe a kind of subtle anti-Christian polemic being put in the mouth here of Rabbi Akiva. Vizarakti aleichem mayin tohorim there may be also here a little bit of a polemic against all the baptism and all that stuff. The real mikvah, the real immersion is the immersion of God. Mikveh Yisrael. Ma mikvah metaret atmeim afakarish baruchu metaret Yisrael. So to God is metaher, the Jewish people. But there's also a third thing that a number of later commentaries suggested, which is a very radical, but if it's, very radical reading, but might be, might be inherent as well. Rebelezer ben Azariah introduced the distinction between Averot ben Adam lechavero and Averot ben Adam lemakom, a distinction that does not appear in the Bible. It's, the, it's, it's a, I mean, in terms of Yom Kippur, it's a chidush of the Agadists. It's a chidush, it's a novelty of the Agadists. When you read Rebelezer ben Azariah, or at least when I did, when I was a kid, I always assumed, so there's a bifurcation. So, fine. Let's say I didn't go and appease my friend. So, but at least I get credit for the sins between man and God. That's the simple reading. So, I, I, you know, I ate non-kosher, I, I spoke, I, I don't know, whatever it is. I, I, you know, those sins, if I do sincere tshuva, that's okay. But if I don't do sincere tshuva, I don't. But, but when it comes to personal, interpersonal, then I need to ask for forgiveness. There are those who say that Rabbi Akiva came to add a new dimension. And Rabbi Akiva, by comparing the tahara to a mikvah, what he's saying is something almost frightening. When you go into a mikvah, you can't even have one finger out. Right? You have to immerse yourself entirely. And what that means is that if you have not solved the problem between man and person, between person and person, then even the kapara of between man and God doesn't work. There are those who read Rabbi Akiva as introducing a, a chumrah element, if you want to use that term, saying that if God atones you like a mikvah, but what that means is that there has to be a total immersion. And if there's not a total immersion, then even the sins between man and God do not get atonement. This is what a number of commentaries read into Rabbi Akiva. If that's true, that's very, very radical. There is another voice that ultimately is rejected in the Agadah that somehow wants to hold on to the notion that the avoda, even in its absence, should work and be transferred, even till today. But it's ultimately rejected. Look at, look at the fifth line of the Gemara. Mita v'yom ha-kippurim mechaprim im You see that? Im ha in, with tshuva, bifnei atzman lo. 
Yom Kippur doesn't work magically. It only works if you have sincere repentance. Neymar de lo Let us say that this is not like Rebbe. The Tanya, because we have a tradition in the name of Rebbe, Rebbe Yehuda Hanasi, Rebbe Omer, Al kol averot shebetorah, Bein asat shuva, Bein lo asat shuva. Yom HaKippurim mechaper, Chutz, Miporek ol, Megaleh panim betorah, Umefer brit. Amazing. Rabbi Akiva says, and Rabbi Akiva is, uh, not Rabbi Akiva, Rebbe, Rebbe is rejected. The Gemara says, our Mishnah is not like Rebbe, but Rebbe's opinion is amazing. You still hear an echo of an attempt to say that there's automatic atonement. Whether you've done tshuva, whether you haven't done tshuva. Rebbe comes and says, for almost every sin under the sun, Yom Kippur is mechaper. Yom Kippur gives you atonement. Simply the power of the day gives you atonement. Whether you did tshuva or not, except for these three. And these three, interestingly enough, are all examples of people who've kind of cut themselves off entirely from the Jewish people. Mefer Brit means someone who tries to reverse the Brit Milah, which was common amongst those who wanted to disassociate themselves from the Jewish people. Migaleh panim b'Torah means to interpret the Torah not in the traditional way. That's, a, that's talking about like the Hebrew Christians and, uh, and the Sadducees, meaning people who have cut themselves off from the normative. And kofer ba'ikar means someone who rejects that there is a God and who rejects that God created you know, the, all the basic principles. Porek ol. Chutzmi porek ol. Someone who simply rejects it all. So what Rebbe seems to do is he's trying to transfer the Yom Kippur experience of the temple even to t- today that we don't require tshuva it's an amazing statement now everybody goes crazy on Rebbe what do you mean you don't require tshuva you don't have some people go so take this so seriously the shita that they ask what is the halacha according to Rebbe if you do an avera on Yom Kippur you know like if you do an avera does it kind of come hand in hand with the solution and so, what you have here is a little bit of a tension that not everyone wanted to accept the shift, the move to the notion of it can't be just Yom Kippur anymore. It's got to be Yom Kippur with tshuva, Yom Kippur with suffering, Yom Kippur with certain very, very serious sins, Yom Kippur with death. In fact, turn to the next page, and with that, we have to stop today. Yeah, yeah. Right. Correct. 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 Okay. The final, the final iteration of this idea of gradations of kapara is found on the next page, Vav Amud Aleph. If you look, you see where it gets wide? If you go up to where there's an asterisk. Sha'al Ravmatya ben Khershit Rabbeleza ben Azari Biromi. In Rome, he asked him, Shamata, have you heard about the four divisions? Arba Chaluke Kapara. There were four divisions. Shahaya Rabbi Shmuel Doresh. Amar Shloshahain. There are three Vichuva Imkol Echad Ve'echad. And you require Chuva with each one of them. 
Avar v'shav. If you violated a positive commandment and you did tshuva, eno zaz lo. God doesn't move until they give him atonement. Next line. Avar lotasev If you violated lotasev this is the, the secondary iteration. Avar al kritut umitat beitin. If you violated a severe law that you are liable for excision or killing or, or capital punishment, the asat shuva, shuva v'yom kipurim tolin v'yisurim emarkim. Shuva and Yom Kippur tolin, they, they hold it in abeyance. And then the suffering wipes away your sin. But someone who has Chilul Hashem in their hand, Tshuva cannot be tole, nor can Yom HaKippurim give atonement, and suffering cannot cleanse it. All of these simply hold it in abeyance, umita mimareket, and mita, death, cleanses. Chilul Hashem becomes the, the Avera par excellence in rabbinic thought, in the aftermath of the temple, not defiling the temple, but Chilul Hashem, which is defiling God's name, which is a representative. And this becomes the sin the ultimate sin that even Yom Kippur can't touch. So today we looked at a couple of agadatot that obviously there's much more, many more agadatot. I hope there were certain themes that we saw that were highlighted as the agadists moved from the period of the temple with its focus on the avoda to the period where there's no more temple, where we're focusing on averot and especially what comes to the fore are the themes of tshuva. Tshuva starts to make its way as a major theme in the, in the process of atonement. Number two, the centrality of Ben Adam L'chaveiro and how we interact with each other becomes a central motif in the context because there's no automatic tshuva and there's, there's no automatic repent, um, atonement anymore. And those become kind of central themes in the Agadis as they re-envision Yom Kippur.